Good evening, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Shire Salvos podcast. Uh, Jack Clifton is my name behind the mic to bring you all of the latest of what's happening in our church at both our Menai and Miranda locations. Sorry that we've been off for the last couple of weeks. My wife, Claire, and I have been away on holidays the last couple of weeks. I've had some sickness that have kept us uh, grounded and a little bit low. Uh, but uh, yeah, be glad. Uh, I am glad to be bringing you the podcast for this week. A little bit of a different format for the podcast. We won't have any, uh, have any news for, your, for you this week. I haven't been able to locate my Shire Salvos newsletter, so we'll uh, update you with double the amount of news next week on the podcast, but we'll just play for you the wonderful sermon that was done by Sean Nolan. Sean uh, is a member of our church, member of our congregation, and uh, although I wasn't there, I've been a little bit crook. Um, I've listened to the sermon, and it was a really wonderful um, effort by Sean, and great to have him as part of our church community, um, him and his wife and his family. Um, I know he's a good friend of Mark Soper, so I really hope that you do enjoy the sermon uh, from Sean. We're going to play that for you now, and then wrap up, wrap up everything here on the Shire Salvos podcast. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you all going? Good? Are you awake? It's cold. It's a cold morning today. So I just um, had that read as a, as a supplementary verse um, to match up. And I'm just trying to get my clock going here. Oh, there we go. And so I'm going to be speaking from this, one of the stories of Jesus being on the Sea of Galilee and him being um, with his disciples. Now, that happens a couple of times. And before we get to this uh, first, before we get to the passage I'm going to be speaking at, I just want to give a little bit of context, because we come to this story in uh, Mark 6, and Jesus is... Whoop, what's going on here? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, already done. Oh, man, fair income. All right, so we're, we're good. So we come to this story uh, in Mark 6 of Jesus being uh, on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And the background is that he's just been on the Sea of Galilee before in Mark 4. And they've had this experience where Jesus was in the boat uh, sleeping and the storm comes up. And the disciples say to him, Rabbi, do you not care that we are going to die? Wake up. And he wakes up and he calms the storm. And there's this great verse in Mark 4:49 that says, and there was a great calm. I want to start by asking this morning, could anyone do, you don't have to put your hands up, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but could anyone do with a great calm in their life this morning? Now, new parents can, I know that, so, um, but could you do with a great calm in your life today? And just ask yourself that question. And the next bit of context is that after that incident, King Herod kills John the Baptist, which is kind of like, uh, actually beheads him, which is kind of like the pastor at the next church down the road being beheaded. We'd all be a bit freaked out and be thinking, we like Mark, we like his head, we want it to stay on him, you know, so they're all laughing. Mark, if you're watching, they're laughing. And so, um, and Kim and Joel obviously as well. And then after that, we get to the feeding of the 5,000, which is the immediate context before the passage we're going to get to today. And it says in the feeding of the 5,000 in that story that Jesus was training and teaching the disciples through the feeding of the 5,000. And he was trying to get them to understand something. And it kind of has the influence that they didn't actually understand where the bread and the fish had come from. We're like, oh no, they knew he made it. He multiplied. But it, the, the, the inference of the scripture is that they didn't really get it. They were confused, which I think is understandable. Because if Kim got up and miraculously turned an Arnott's packet of biscuits into enough for everyone, we'd be like, how did she do that? Did she really do that? 
this shoe have them under the stage or something? Like, what happened? You know, so this is the context um, of the passage that we're coming to. And in Mark 6.45, and if you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 6. We're going to pick the story up here. In Mark 6.45, it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And this is our first verse for this morning. And I want to just make the point that Jesus has is left the disciples he's staying on the shore and they've gone out to the sea of galilee right so just understand that we're the story that we're coming to jesus is on the shore of the sea of galilee and the disciples are now out uh, on 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 the lake right or on the sea whatever you want to call it and just as a little bit more context in matthew 4 18 it says while while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And I put this verse in there because I want to make the point that this is happening, this story, it's happening in the disciples' ordinary life. See, if we were to go to Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, I would imagine if you're anything like me, you'd have your little bum bag and your visor hat and your Ray-Bans and your Slurpee. And if you're young, you're TikToking. If you're middle-aged like me, you're on Instagram. And if you're a little bit older like Nathan there, you're on Facebook, right? And so whatever works for you, you know, but we would be in tourist mode, right? Which is understandable because it's foreign to us. We, we don't know this environment. But to the disciples, this is their Menai marketplace. This is their... Um, Steam Brothers. This is their, yeah, amen. This is their, um, this is their local. This is happening in their ordinary life. Can everyone say ordinary? It's happening in their ordinary, in their day-to-day life. And I want to really land that point. And as we move on in Mark 6, as we come to the next verses, in verses 47 and 48, it says this, and when, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea And he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. God, have you ever considered from this story, Jesus is on the land, the disciples are in the boat, and there's a storm. Have you ever considered that God sees you in your ordinary life? See, we tend to think, if you're anything like me, that God sees us at church or at, I don't know, back in the day, Hillsong Conference or whatever it is that works for you, right? But God sees you in your ordinary life. And the picture we have here is that Jesus is actually on the shore, like locked onto them. He's watching them. And then we add into that, in those verses, it says, they were making headway painfully, the wind was contrary against them, or in the NIV, they were straining at the oars. So we're building here, church. Jesus is in their ordinary. He sees them, but their ordinary life is against them. There's, the winds are contrary against I kind of like that translation. The winds are contrary against them. I don't know why. I just think it sounds poetic. And But they're straining at the oars. Are you... And again, I don't want anyone to put their hands up because I'm not here to embarrass anyone. But I just want to, in your mind, do you feel like the wind is contrary against you in your ordinary life at the moment? Do you feel like you're straining at the oars of life, metaphorically? Do you feel like you're making headway painfully? 
Now, it might be something kind of trivial. Your coffee machine's broken and you're having to go back to Nescafe. I don't know. Or it could be something serious like Rob Lowe and his, um, the interest rates aren't going to go up. But surprise, now they are going up. And how am I going to pay my mortgage? And by the way, my family just got sick and my kids won't listen to me or my car broke down and I can't fix it. Whatever it is, the point I'm, what the scripture is trying to make is that Jesus sees us in our ordinary life. He sees us. He's watching the disciples from the shore. And particularly, he sees us in the situations where our life is straining against us. And as we move on in the, in the, in the passage, the next verse I want to come to is in, again, well, not a different verse, but it's just a different statement in Mark 6.48, which is, it says there, he meant to pass them by. And I put a little translation there, is, there in that because it can be a little bit confusing. That's from the perspective of the disciples. And what it means is it appeared that way to them. In, in the Greek language, the, the language behind that statement is that Jesus was coming up beside them. And it's similar to the Old Testament where God comes and passes by the Israelite nation to bring his blessing and favour upon them. So it wasn't that he was passing them by, but it, it appeared that way to them. And see how we're building here? We're in our ordinary life. The Lord Jesus sees us, even though there's hardship. But to us, it appears that he's passing us by. But he isn't. But it appears that way. But he isn't. Does it appear to you in this season that Jesus is passing you by? Well, I want to encourage you not to listen to me, but to listen to the Word of God as it tells us that that would never happen. That even in the hardest times, when the Lord looks like he's passing us by, he's actually coming up beside us and close to us. And when we continue in this story... It says in Mark 6, 50 and 51, But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. And I I love this because it's saying there that he came and spoke to them, and he got into the boat. And when we translate that into what we know now, having the whole New Testament story, we get this picture of, and I I make this point, because the smart person who's here today, who's a little bit going, look man, cool, nice story, but I'm hurting, and how does this really help me? Where's your Jesus? Is he here? I mean, Kim's lovely and Joel, but they're not Jesus, right? They're like Jesus, but they're not Jesus, you know? Yes, Jesus has ascended and gone to heaven, but what did the Lord say in the scripture? He said, it's better that I go because the Spirit will come. And more than five times in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. And the picture we get here is of Jesus coming to the boat. For us, it's Jesus coming into our life through his Spirit. And he's actually saying that it's better that he goes because when he goes, the Spirit will come. And he doesn't just come near us like Jesus did. He actually comes and lives in us. He indwells us, which is one of the greatest mystery of, the whole, of, of, of Christianity is this truth that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, I like to call him the Spirit of Jesus because the Scripture does say that and it helps us locate him. We don't want to call the Spirit a ghost 
Because you notice in, in the scripture there that at one point it says in Mark 6, 49 and 50, they didn't recognize him. They thought it was a ghost. They thought the Lord was an it. They didn't get who he was. We don't want to call the Spirit of God a go Holy Ghost. We want to know that it's the Spirit of Jesus coming into our life, into our ordinary, to take over the hard, these, to sort of take the oars from us and to help us in our lives. And as we come to this, we, we learn this principle from, because this story, it's, it's, it's in, interesting to note that the feeding of the 5,000 is the only story that's in all four of the Gospels. And this, this story is in three of the Gospels. So it's given a lot of real estate. And I think it's given a lot of real estate for a reason. Because when you go over to Matthew's version, you get this added exchange, which isn't in Mark's version, which is, this is now the part where Peter then went and walked on the water. Peter said, uh, Lord, if it is you, let me come to you. And he walks on the water. And when we get, uh, in, in Matthew uh, 14, we get this little verse, Are you of little faith? Why did you doubt? The Lord Jesus says to Peter. Because he starts to sink. He looks at the waves and he starts to sink. And I don't want to spend too much time there because I think most of us would be uh, rather familiar with it. But I want to make the point that the Lord, as we mentioned at the start of this, he's using this all to teach them, to train them, to see life differently. The word repentance is a Greek word that means metanoia. And it, meta means um, after, and noia means mind. It's to take on the after mind. That's what the word literally means. The Lord is wanting them to think differently as a result of meeting him, to have their life governed by his presence in their life. And he's saying to Peter, I want you to go from doubt to faith. I want you to go from seeing your life by the circumstances to seeing your life by my presence and my spirit in your circumstances and in your life by faith. And in Mark 6.52, it says this, there's this little verse there. It says, for they did not understand about the lows, but their hearts were hardened. It's picking up from the loaves and fishes passages. They did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. And when we add all this up, we start to understand what Jesus is trying to teach in this passage. He's, he's connecting him being on the water with the loaves and fishes. And this is, this is where he's going. Just like he took a few measly loaves and fish and fed 12,000 people, 5,000 men, plus wives, 10,000, and kids. So it's really actually 10 to 15,000 people. It's a lot of people, right? That's the entertainment. The entertainment center still there? I think it's gone now. But it's like Asa Arena, kind of not, not badly full, right? It's a lot of people, right? And so there's a lot of people. Just like he took, he's trying to get them to see this. Just like he took this little and fed a lot, he wants to take Peter's little ordinary life and use it for an extraordinary purpose. He wants to take our little and multiply it and use it for a kingdom purpose. And we come to this thought, well, in my mind we do, that an ordinary day changes history. You see, when the Lord comes and we give over our ordinary days to him, this is nuclear. This is extraordinary because the Lord has come into our everyday life. And this is the lesson that the Lord is giving to Peter and his disciples. He's saying, just like I took those few loaves and fish and I multiplied them and did an extraordinary thing and fed 5,000 people, 
I want to take your ordinary life with your hardships and your struggles and I want to multiply it and I want to do extraordinary things. And, you know, we can, I can go many places with this, but for me, I kind of think of, I mentioned before, David Soper led me to the Lord. In his ordinary life, I remember with his fluoro board shorts on and his visor hat and his um, uh, Dunkin' Donuts that Shelley told him not to eat, you know, he came to my life and he led me to the Lord. And in many ways, whenever I preach or whenever I do anything for the Lord, David Sopo is standing right next to me. Because without him, I wouldn't be here, right? And I want you to get a revelation of what God's offering you, the purpose that God is offering his church. When we come and live with Jesus in his everyday life, and then we take on his mission, our life has an eternal purpose. It has an amazing purpose. Because all of a sudden, we can be part of something that is just so much bigger than us, which is the kingdom of God. And when we look and burrow in at Peter's life, we see in Matthew 4.19 this, this, this verse where Jesus said to Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus really the whole time in the Gospels, he's trying to get Peter to move from being a fisherman to be a fisher of men. And notice this transition. He's not saying to a teacher to become a doctor. He's not saying to a carpenter to become a horse trainer. He's not saying to a chairmaker to become an astronaut. He's saying to the person, whatever it is that you do in your life, I want to take this thing that might seem ordinary and I want to give it an extraordinary purpose. He takes Peter from being a fisherman to a fisher of men. Do you see the connection? He goes from a fisherman to a fisher of men. He just extends and adds a layer to the thing Peter's already doing but gives it an amazing purpose. What is it that God has given each one of us that he wants to take and use for an extraordinary purpose? God wants to come into our ordinary. He sees us and he wants to invade that ordinary and not just make it a little bit better, but give it an extraordinary purpose. I have been blessed to sort of see many things in my life like many of you would have and I'm telling you right now I'm convinced and we're all might be different and have different thoughts but I don't believe there's anything better than being someone that lives on mission for the Lord because when you see someone who is struggling come to know the Lord and be free of that it is the most powerful thing that you'll ever see in your life I'm convinced of that and it is the most rewarding thing I believe you'll ever see. Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I pray this morning that we would see the movements of this passage and see how the Lord just comes in beside this ordinary situation, fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, they'd been there a million times before, and he grabs this ordinary situation and he uses it to transform not just the disciples' lives, but the entire history of civilization over 2,000 years. You know, the day, some of you might be a bit young and not know this name, but the day Billy Graham was saved, the preacher went home, Mordecai Ham, and said to his wife, she said, how did the meeting go? And he said, oh, it's kind of dodgy. Why? 
only one, a couple of people got saved tonight. It was depressed. And one of the names on that list of a couple was a young farmer from North Carolina called Billy Graham. Can you imagine that guy hadn't have been faithful that night? Billy Graham went on to convert 3.2 million people. That's in-person registered decisions. I mean, who on earth knows what happened via TV and all that kind of thing? It would be in the hundreds of millions. And I've already mentioned David Soper and his impact on my life. I pray that we would get a sense that our ordinary lives aren't just there to be washed through each week to get to the weekend to put Netflix on or whatever it is, you know. And I'm not kind of knocking that like it's fine to enjoy Netflix, right? But I pray we would elevate our mindset through the power of the Holy Spirit and see that God wants to come and invade our ordinary and make it extraordinary by taking our everyday life and giving it eternal purpose. And as I close, the the crazy thing about this is at the end of John's account of this story in John chapter 6, it says this in verse 20 and 21, But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. You know, and in Mark 6.51, and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. It's, It's a kind of a funny thing that once the disciples had learnt this character lesson, God was, um, God decided in his sovereignty to do a miracle. Because this is like a Star Trek situation where they were one place and then beam, they were beam, they were moved. It's, it's a miracle. They were in the boat, in the sea, and then immediately they moved. So it's an interesting thing that when we sort of settle with the Lord and his purpose, God is, I'm not going to, I want to choose my words carefully and not sort of say he's released to because God can do anything. But it's just an interesting principle in the word of God that when we surrender or yield or whatever language you want to use, when we give, um, say yes to God in our ordinary, he's then able to do a miraculous thing according to his will. But it only happened once the disciples had learnt this faith lesson. It's just an interesting thing. And um, Rick Warren, the pastor from California, he said um, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, God wants to bring character, Christ-like character, above comfort. And that doesn't mean God doesn't want to bless us and give us comfort in our everyday life. But I think we all know what it means. It means that like a father or a mother, a parental figure, he wants to build something eternal and powerful in our life. You see, if God just took our suffering and just made it better instantly, there'd be a very big ethical question open there. What was the point of the suffering? Why did you allow it? Why didn't you just stop it from happening? And the greatest answer the church has probably ever had outside of the scripture on the issue of suffering came from St. Augustine, the first ever theologian, 1800 years ago. And he said this, he said, God judged it better to allow um, evil to exist and to bring good out of evil than to just never let it happen. See, if God takes our ordinary hardship and just ends it without giving a purpose to it, there's an ethical question there. Well, God, why did it ever happen? But if God takes our hardship and uses it for an amazing eternal purpose, it makes sense and we can understand and follow why God let that happen. 
When my mum died, it was at that point that I recommitted my life to the Lord to be on mission for God because I saw her not die but her be freed. And her hardship was used for an eternal purpose. I want you to understand from this passage that God hasn't abandoned you. God has an eternal purpose and he is coming into our ordinary this week to help us at the oars of life, to train us to live by faith and not doubt so that we can be part of his extraordinary story in this world of changing people's lives. Amen, church? Now, as a reflection, we're not going to do it here. There's an early church practice where at the end of your day, this is something the early church did, at the end of your day, you stop for two minutes and you say, Holy Spirit, where were you present today? And you hear from the Holy Spirit. This is before they had Bibles because these are relatively new things because of the printing press and all that. This is what the early, one of the things the early church used to do. So I want to ask you, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, five days this week. If you can't do five, just pick one day, right? But try for five. I want you to pick a time. Try and set an alarm in your phone before you leave the sanctuary this morning, the church this morning. And at, say, 8 o'clock tonight, if you've got kids, when they've gone to bed, because I don't think it's possible unless you're some sort of superhuman figure to have a quiet moment while your kids are there. Um, if you've got grandkids, make sure they're gone from your house and gone, you know. Um, but for one moment, say, 8 o'clock at night on Monday, I want you to just stop and say, Holy Spirit, where were you? Where did I see you today? And you might be astonished. You might find that it was at a fish and chip shop and you saw someone hurting and you just felt this ache for them. Maybe God wants you to eat more fish and chips for the next fortnight and go back there. Can I have an amen? Do you get my point? Because I want, I pray, I want Sunday to invade Monday. Does that make sense? Let's stand. I'm going to pray and hand over to... Father, we commit your word to you. We thank you for the example of your son. We thank you that he came into this world. And we pray, Father, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, this would not just be information, but it would be transformation. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort us, that you are with us in our ordinary, that you would comfort us, that you aren't just coming to end our hardship, but to give it an eternal purpose, to allow it to make sense. And I pray, Lord, that as us Christians go out to Miranda Shopping Centre, to Maccas, to Steam Brothers, to Menai Marketplace, to wherever we go this week, that at the end of the day, you would remind us where you were in that day and help us to sense your leading and your mission in our life, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that that would not bring any sort of heaviness, but a deep joy and a deep gladness, Lord, that you are with us and that you are coming into our lives to give us a purpose and a plan in this life. And all God's people said, Amen.
lovely to hear the Word of God presented by Sean. A big thanks for uh, his effort in, in putting that sermon together and uh, spe- uh, speaking from the heart and speaking so truthfully to us. And I really hope that you did, were able to take something from that, be encouraged by that, or uh, something that maybe you can uh, think about in, in the coming days as we uh, go throughout the week in our lives. That brings us to the end of the Shire Salvos podcast for this week. We'll have a brand new episode coming out next Monday afternoon. As I said, we'll double the amount of news and everything that's happening or in the life of the church. But until uh, next week when we speak again, this is Jack Clifton saying goodbye from the Shire Salvos podcast.